I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the ten house gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears in rain. Welcome to Backstory, presented by the And I'm Kelly Boone. For our first episode, we had the pleasure of hosting two Patrick? You're, you're still there, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking guy. <laughs> oh, um, okay, so it's it's been a while since I last talked to you. I think the last time was, or at least last time I saw you was 2018, I think, out in L.A. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. A uh, long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how are you doing? Where, where, are, where am I calling or where are you talking from? Um, I'm actually in Las Vegas. Um, I live in LA. And since the COVID pandemic hit, uh, my, my pops, who is an elderly gentleman, uh, we had him fly out to LA just to, to be a little bit more safe because although he's pretty independent, um, just the idea of him driving places was a bad idea. So uh, we were there, you know, some interesting experiences just overall, like I'm sure everybody else had. Um, and then uh, we decided to drive back to Vegas to his house just last week. And, uh, you know, we found like some some flooding. Yeah. And so <laughs> I've been here ever since dealing with that. So, and it, I literally... Um, it was literally going to be like, come in, run some water, flush some toilets, you know, check like things and flip on some lights and then go back in a day or two. And then uh, I, I packed like two changes of clothes, um, some really like just lame clothes too, <laughs> because I didn't think I would see anybody. And so I have like all these late 90s, like baggy, sh- I have, not all these, I have one pair of like late 90s Nike basketball shorts that go down like four inches below my knee um, and a bunch of like not oversized but just like really kind of comfortable t-shirts so um, I look like I belong in this town (laughs) I mean it's strange uh, obviously and um, you know like it's uh, I think I can talk about this because Paula wrote about it online and, and stuff, but uh, Paula, my girlfriend, um, her grandfather passed away like uh, about a couple weeks ago. Um, uh, he was 100 years old oh, and wow. he was in the Philippines. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, like he could get to a hospital, but it would have been probably a bad situation uh just i don't know the details but i can just imagine if you know goes to the hospital and then catches like you know coronavirus and then no one can see him and he can't leave you know uh so that it was just strange situations and and then um, he was born in 1919 so um that was like a year into the spanish flu so he went from one pandemic to the other you know mm-hmm. strange strange indeed um wow. But yeah, <clears throat> never met the guy. I really wish I had. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, so we're doing this until tomorrow initiative, and it's like you know, in those early days, we were all. I th- I, I think we weren't alone in this, and everybody was like, "We got to come up with streaming recommendations." And so, <laughs> you know, one of our one of our staff members, Chris, he he had found all these old short films that Relation has shown in the past that, that were online and available actually 
for people to watch. And, you know, I mean, I, there's certainly this desire, this impetus to be nostalgic right now. And, and certainly like, I think the initiative is, is part of that, but, but, you know, in, in, in this other way, it, it is, it has brought us to think about archiving in a way in that like, while we are being nostalgic and looking back at the world and how it was, and cause we know it's going to be different we know it's going to be different afterwards but like kind of looking back and like you know what does it mean to have an archive and and this is kind of an act of of archiving and seeing the things that we've shown before i mean how do you feel about that too as you know as a filmmaker like you know you make this work over you know years and years and years and how does the work survive and and what does it mean to have it like kind of like looked at again so many years later it's it's cool to revisit past work you know because it takes you back to uh where you were when you made it when you thought of it when you screened it you know and the experiences that um you had going to places meeting people and where it took you you know and um i think that was kind of some good nostalgia and i think it really see it really shows maybe a little bit of your voice where it was and then where it's where it's gone and maybe where it's going after i think about like the year that we met and it's just so funny the the circumstances i don't know do you remember i i mean maybe i can tell my story and you can accuse sure. me of not remembering but um because <laughs> we were both out here in 2003 and that's and it's just the funny thing is that we were both living in san francisco but we didn't know each other at all and then we met here at Real Asian, like we were mm -hmm. both showing films here. Um, I remember Sally throwing me into a cab with you. And then and it was like, it was like, uh, hey, what's up? I'm Patrick. I'm Patrick. Like, uh, hey, I'm Aaron. Can I get an impression like uh, recorded? Like, I'm going to clip this out of this. It's getting recorded right now. And it's like, hey, what's up? I'm Patrick. And we're like, where are you from? Oh, I'm from San Francisco. Oh, yeah? You like the Warriors? <laughs> like, seriously, it was one of the first things we talked about, for sure. And that and, was the beginning of it all. And, you know, probably when it's all said and done, that'll probably be the final thing that we ever talk about. <laughs> I think so. Because that's like... Whenever it is, like, the last thing will be like, or it'll be like the last communication we have, hopefully when we're uh, old and, and gray, is... Uh, email about the about the warriors <laughs> so that was like 2003 like post gilbert arenas warriors um when, that was 2003 when we met and you played spunk at relation then the other short we have as part of until tomorrow is void uh which you you shot i think on movie mode in, on a digital point and shoot still camera right something like that Right. It was some Canon power shot rinky dinky thing um, from the early aughts. It was my my parents' camera and it was really pixelated, really low res. And this is before high res stuff. And uh, and the other option like for digital was usually DV. So um, I don't know, like I this was early on when like digital stuff was happening. So I kind of felt it, would, it had its own visual quality to it you know like i to me it was at the time i was uh, i kind of thought of it as analogous to the film grain a little bit um whether or not that was pretentious or whether uh not as true like it, it it's mood but uh, at the time that's kind of how i looked at it in this kind of stuttered not fully clear uh imagery but uh yeah void was was fun you know that that's I don't know, that's one of my favorite things I've ever made, to be honest. <laughs> it was fun. And I know, um, I know, like, you were awesome because you came out with everybody else to, to wear these, like, uh, these, like, bright clothes I got from the thrift store over in San Francisco in Mission Bay, where it's, there was nothing there. Now there's a Chase Center and even more of UCSF. But you know what? I, you know, I, I don't think I actually came out for your shoot. And I think uh i think you're getting me confused with jim right nah nah jim, right or did jim. i come i don't know that i did because and i'm only <laughs> saying that i'm only saying that because a lot of the time people would get me mixed up with him 
Why? I wouldn't know. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> because I don't, friends, I don't know that I was there. there. And, yeah, but no, I, I'm, I don't get you guys mixed up. Maybe like people <laughs> who don't know people, like, you know, get you guys mixed up. You know, like I don't, I mean, I've, uh, when I lived in SF, I hung out with Jim like a bunch of times and then I hung out with you separately a bunch of times and I was, <laughs> I don't get you guys mixed up. Okay. Um, <laughs> what? I think you were wearing like this one thing. It was like a, a knitted red hood scarf thing. And oh, I, yeah, yeah, wait, wait. Okay, that's kind of coming back to me. And I just threw it out because um, I moved and I was going through things. And my girlfriend and I were like, she's like, what is this? I said, oh, that's cool. That's from like a thrift store. And it's like, you know, costumes. <laughs> it was like a, it was like a, it's kind of like a bonnet but like a hood yeah like a yeah, knitted yeah bonnet hood i also remember being kind of disappointed that i didn't make it but i understand really? sorry yeah, I <laughs> yeah no it's all good it's all good yeah, it's fine it's fine it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> no, are you serious i i think i mean i also accused you of thinking i was jim so who knows <laughs> <laughs> who knows who knows film from worldwide short now that i think about it um machine with wishbone uh, i saw that at worldwide short uh and i remember randall had six or seven copies of his dvd and he had made intricately hand cut cardboard sleeves for the dvd and i was just so blown away by that uh that he'd taken so much care into the presentation of, of his work for what was really going to be copies to give away. Uh, uh, and I remember being really impressed by, by that. Um, and I, I took it to the, the programming committee at Real Asia. I said, you know, we should, we should really consider this work. And at that time, we were still wavering on the idea of premiere status for shorts. Uh, we eventually came to the idea that even if it had played Worldwide Short that year, it was still eligible to play at Relation. And we'd kind of started to loosen our premiere status uh, re requirements for short films. But yeah, I remember, I remember Machine with Wishbone coming from, from Worldwide Short. So I guess did you guys like send that copy of the DVD back to him, or is is that is that sleeve? No, they were made to be given away. Like wow. you're you're bringing you're giving people your screener, right? Because it's yeah. like mm -hmm. like YouTube was around, but it wasn't really people didn't really use that. Vimeo was sort of around, maybe, but because that this was actually 2008. That was when Randall first played Relation. So. Um, how did you store all that material? In your house? <laughs> or, or, yeah. or no, no. Like, what happened to, to that material? Does that still exist somewhere? Or, like, you mean or... the DVDs and stuff? Yeah. We used to throw them out two years after after their, uh, they played. Hmm. So we would, keep, we would keep last year's and the year before that. And then we would throw them. We would only keep the ones that that uh, had played. Mm -hmm. We would only keep screeners for work that we'd selected. All the rest of the ones that had just been submitted and not selected, we would we would throw at the end of the year to the chipper. It would go into the <laughs> chipper. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so yeah, Chris, you've been delving into these like uh, archives. Is shelter in place giving you like? This is just what I've always wanted—the <laughs> opportunity to dig through. <laughs> numerous files in a server that nobody uses pretty much um i mean you know the genesis of this project started with um an initiative from one of our filmmakers celeste coon uh at the beginning of the lockdown she created a facebook group called celeste and Mooley's short film club Mooley is her pet rabbit 
uh, where one short film that's free to watch will be posted each day. Uh, our marketing manager, Christine Vu, quickly got on board and offered to program the Wednesday and Thursday slots. And she reached out to staff to ask if anyone had listings of where shorts we had programmed could be found. So that got me to thinking, hmm, we really don't have one central place where we can find, for free viewing, shorts that have shown at our festival. So I started compiling a list, starting with award winners of the past festivals. I just did a, like a quick Google search for videos matching the title and filmmaker of the short, and that first list had maybe, I don't know, 16 or 20 titles on it. And I shared it with the rest of the staff, and everyone was pretty excited about it. So, finding myself with a lot of time on my hands, uh, I began methodically Googling titles of short films from our archives, and found there were quite a few of them online. Like, over our two decades plus history, we screened like 950 short films, and we were able to find 35% of them online. A couple of them have been dating all the way back to our first year of 1987. And, um, I mean, you have to remember that a lot of the work in those days was actually shot and screened on analog video or other tape-based formats, so there's not a lot of stuff from those early years that has been digitized. Anyways, the list grew to hundreds of entries long, with many artists like Anne-Marie Fleming, Greg Pak, Leslie Supnett, Gloria Wee-Wong Kim, and Randall Akita showing up in multiple years. It was, it was great to see the development of filmmakers like animator Jeff Cheever Stearns, who started with us in 2005 with a short, screened another short in 2007, returned with a mid-length in 2010, put together in an omnibus film in 2013 with animators from across the country, and screened his debut feature with us in 2016. So we were brainstorming ideas for Asian Heritage Month uh, when Christine told us about the Intel Tomorrow hashtag, where people were posting nostalgic memories of life before the lockdown to share some positivity and happiness on the internet. So we came up with the idea of redesigning our festival archive pages and sharing shorts we'd found online as festival memories under the hashtag of Intel Tomorrow. Um, we decided on a four-phase rollout plan, starting chronologically from the earliest years up to more recent tomes. Um, and different films were released every week in May to celebrate Asian Heritage Month with a fond look back at our festival offerings. And that's when Kelly, you suggested we reach out to filmmakers whose work we found online to get them involved and get their permission. <laughs> and, and, yeah, I think I think that was really a good choice because um, Kelly, I mean, what, what what happened when you reached out to some of these filmmakers and and sent them this link that was online? I think at first, I, to be honest, I was like, oh, no, I'm really be behind in terms of reaching out to these filmmakers and getting permission uh, for our launch date. Um, but turned out that like the first response I received was maybe like five minutes out after I had sent the email. So and I think that like just speaks volumes to the responses overall that we received, like people just being really happy to be like remembered somewhere even like, whoa, oh yeah, I made that film, like totally forgot. And then others just like, just in general, like, yes, this is so great. And like, thank you for remembering me. And I have such fond memories of Real Asia. And, and it's like really nice to be um, in some ways like associated again. Um, I was actually curious, like for you, Chris, when you were like looking things up and like searching, did it bring up any any kind of memories? Because I know you've been with the festival for, this is like, what, your 17th year now? Yeah. There were some, like, um, uh, Peter Chan Ho Sun's film from 2003, uh, which, was which was made in response to the SARS epidemic. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a whole, there was a whole um, kind of a Hong Kong film initiative where they would they put out these films by really big hong kong stars or featuring big hong kong stars yeah it was uh it was called one one colon 99 and uh it was uh like 20 short films uh like a minute long and uh, peter chan ho sun's film was called uh memories of spring 2003 and I was watching it again, and it was just so relevant to the current lockdown. And there were just all these images of people in masks and empty streets. And 
medical personnel rushing around and it just brought back so many memories like it like hits really close to home and the ending of that film is is quite triumphant um because it talks about how the uh they overcame SARS uh and it just it just was kind of an emotional moment of like feeling that maybe there is a there is, we've been through this before, and there is light at the end of the tunnel. So it was a, that was a really moving moment for me. Hello? Hey, Nora, it's Kelly. How are you? It's crazy. Um, well, I thought this would be a slow period. I thought there would be no work coming in, but it's actually because um, I work full time as a producer, and that means a lot of people are going into um, they're going into pre production right now because it's kind of like the time where you know films are people are looking for for funding, people are applying for funding, and um, they are reaching out to me because I'm a producer and I obviously do that. So now more than ever, people have the time to um, follow these like fresh concepts. And so I just every single day I'm getting like new requests to hop on board um, like pre-production and like just write grants and um, and look for like just financing options. Um, so I'm pretty busy, which is not ideal. Like I thought, you know, everyone else, if there's like, you know, engage in self-care and like, this is the time for relaxation. <laughs> and um, that's not really what's happening with me right now. But <laughs> um, I'm so thankful that there's like, there's work coming in and it's not like as much money as it should be because it's like, you know, funding is also slow right now. Um, you know, everyone's kind of struggling. So payments are, are delayed and everything, but I'm also just super thankful that there's like work, there's work coming in because I am, um, I am independent. Like I work for myself. Um, so I'm really thankful, but it, it's, it's a busy time, but I'm happy to see people like pursue what they want to and like help them out as a producer. Yeah. And, and that's why it's so nice actually to, to check up with you right now. I know the last time we saw each other was, was at the festival and, November 2019 and things just have really changed since then um I mean there's still so many ways to connect uh I know we've been emailing um but I can still feel so overwhelmingly like lonely at this time I think for me what you what you shared just right now just like really makes me think about the ways that um the ways that value has shifted a lot like thinking about um how we value um, ourselves, our work, our relationships with each other. I mean, maybe it hasn't really shifted, but it's just been made much more apparent, just kind of the weight of the value, maybe just made more apparent. Um, like, I totally see what you're saying. I, like, I remember the festival space is such a, like, now I'm thinking of it as, like, such a privilege. Um, because, again, like, that's how you, how you meet people. That's how you meet other people working in film. And there's no, like, I, there's no new relationship building happening. And there's no, like, nurturing of, of like, my relationships happening, like, in, in, you know, in film or even outside of film because you can't really see anyone. But it's just, like, the, the act of, like, anticipating, okay, like, this festival is going to happen. And I'm, like, and just, like, preparing for, um for a festival is so exciting. Like I personally feel like it's so exciting and it doesn't even matter if it's like, you know, with hot dogs or like whatever, which didn't even happen, you know, like that was all online, but the experience is like all about being present in person. And I remember the first time I met you was, was the, like the opening reception um, of the, of 2018's festival. And I remember just, like, you know, I didn't anticipate, I didn't know what, like, relation would be like um, at all. 
uh, in terms of like you know like who's who's gonna be there what the age what's the age group like you know and I I wasn't especially anticipating meeting people my own age or around my own age that was like something that was like really striking for me I was so happy to see people like around my own age working in in the, the festival space um so no I just remember like stepping into the space and feeling like this is a fresh um this is like such a fresh uh space and like I I understand like why like why I'm here and I, I understand like why my work relates to to relation because I like see myself and like the reflection of like the physical bodies around me um and that can be really difficult with like I know there's like certain festivals that are online festivals um or even festivals that are international that like my film has been screened at and I I've never I haven't had the ability to like go and physically attend those festivals I am still at a loss um for like understanding I'm at a loss for understanding you know how my work relates to that space um and like how is it contributing to like their their livelihoods and like what kind of conversations are they having about my film um or my work in general um and that's always something that's really interesting for me um because my my work is mostly like I don't see it as like a conversation and like end to a conversation but I feel like my work is like the beginning of a conversation. I always leave like my work open ended. Um, and so when I physically attended um your festival, I was able to understand what you folks took out of it just by conversations. Um, and even like being screened, um, it being screened with other people. I was able to meet the other filmmakers and we were able to talk um to each other about like how our um, you know, because of curation was it was thematic so we were able to talk about how our films relate to each other and like also just like how they were different um but then when you have these online festivals or when you're not you know you can't attend the festival that you're featured at um you're not having these like such like meaningful conversations which honestly is those conversations the reasons why reason why i continue to do what i do um because then you see okay what what is like speaking to people and why do people even um why do people even want to watch um your work and i like i'm it's pretty scary to think that like a lot of um a lot of these things a lot of like screenings and a lot of like um work that's being distributed is now being distributed online because these these um conversations like for the people that are making the content aren't happening so it's like it's like a form of feedback to be at a festival to be honest mm-hmm. yeah actually like what you just shared brings up so many different things for me like one of the first things I remember about meeting you was uh you had a film camera and you were taking photos mm-hmm. of um just the moment and I, I just remember like I thought that was so cool just because I feel um not that we don't see people using film anymore, but it, it just, for me, I was like, oh, that's such a like meaningful way to kind of materialize and capture like what was happening. Mm-hmm. So I remember I was like, wow, that's so cool. Um, <laughs> I remember that. I remember like, and I'm so happy I did just because times like this, you realize how special those moments are. Um, yeah, no, I still have like two photos of you on film. Um, and I, I remember giving someone else the camera to take it of us. And I was just so, it's so nice to have that documented. Um, yeah, no, like I always try to do that. And now, now more than ever, I'm like, I definitely need to keep bringing my camera with me. Cause sometimes it's like, it's like annoying to be like, I'm a participant yeah. <laughs> and not the media person. But I realized like, and now I have like this documentation of like moments in my life that were like, from my eyes and I have like a whole I have a whole like relation 2018 and even 2019 like wasn't like um in my eyes like my experience of it you know when you were talking about the um uh the process in which you you were going through this you I think the 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 operative word you were you said was methodically because you know really <laughs> when you presented this very long spreadsheet with 
all these links in it. We're like, what? Mm-hmm. How? Um, I guess what you just you're just like sat down um, with your drink of choice and just plowed through it. Well, I started like I have a bunch of the of the program guides at home. I have like maybe half of the program guides here at home. So I just it was easy for me to look up shorts programs. Um, but as I was going through them, I've, I, there were years that I didn't have. So mm-hmm. I realized that we have a fairly good festival archive because we have scanned all the pages of our pro our past program guides and put them on our website. So I could just download the PDFs and look at them. Uh, and that, is what kind of inspired me to think about, oh, maybe we should redo our festival archives instead of just having a link to a PDF of the program guide. Why don't we present the official selection in a way that is searchable text uh, and presents the films in the order that they appeared in the, in that year's festival. Uh, And so that's what I did. And it made it very easy then to add links for films that we'd gotten permission from the filmmakers to link to. I, you know, I think that's a really relevant point that can't kind of underscore or undersell, I guess, is that, is that um, this act of archiving, you know, and it's not to float our own boat, but the reality is, is that Relation is one of the longest running mm-hmm. um, Asian arts organizations in this country. Um, and, and to have this archive, just even it, it, this record of the work that has been shown, um, the artists that have exhibited their work here, like it, it I, I can't say enough how much like that, that is like an important act to be archiving that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it was definitely... Uh, a humbling process to go through and and type up the that work just the the actual process of entering film titles and directors and thinking oh wow this this director and this director and this director it was really cathartic to go through the archives and and actually make them come real mm-hmm. um more than just a, a PDF of a program guide. It was making a record come alive. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, we should also say, too, that, like, you know, this these are short films that we've shown, and these are short films that are accessible mm-hmm. through various links or whatever. But, you know, it's also cool to see those archives, too, and that, like, we've shown the first features of people like Justin Lin, Hong Sang-soo, uh, Apicha Pong. So, it, it, you know, these kind of, like, um, people who went on to have really great careers and and lots of other filmmakers as well. I mean, those are definitely like the the kind of like headliners, but still like yeah, um, definitely, it, it's pretty cool to see those names too. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine sometime in the future uh, we get around to offering links to features that are commercially available. You know, maybe putting up someone's Sinando link or putting up someone's someone's VOD link. Yeah, I I guess on that, I know, you know, part of this campaign is like grounded in Asian Heritage Month, like now, May. Um, But now that like you've done that work to find these short films, like where do you see this archive going? Like just maybe expanding on like what you just talked or just like thinking about with maybe including features. But um, yeah, I'm just curious. I don't know, really. I, I think it's uh, a good stepping off point. I mean, one thing that we added was uh, links to the director's social handles uh, and links to their Facebook pages, links to their Vimeo channels, links to their YouTube channels. And I mean, it's really about... Um, it's kind of an example of community care that reaches out to our vast family of filmmakers and reminds them of our shared history and reconnects us to artists who we've maybe fallen out of touch with over the years. But it's a testament to our organizational longevity that we have so many filmmakers who have grown with us and helped make us who we are today. So I think that it's, it's uh, 
about reconnecting with our very vast uh, network of filmmakers to re-engage them um, with the festival. Actually, on that, <laughs> I was really excited to use my research skills in quotation marks to find whatever way we could to get connected, <laughs> whether it's uh, sliding into someone's DMs or, <laughs> or you know, finding their like really outdated email or their blog website. <laughs> I know. Is there certain there are so certain great. email addresses like? You just like assume you're like, oh, I'm sure they're not checking that anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. AOL, AOL account. You yeah. Know? <laughs> Definitely had one or two of those. <laughs> but you know, like, I mean, in 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 this way, having you know, this this long archive, it, it you know, as a filmmaker, like how much things change, um this digital space, like how ephemeral even it even a, a an email address is right yeah. like um you know i i think it's really cool to hear kelly saying that like when you reached out that that so many people were like oh thank you for reaching out and like or here's a better link than what you mm-hmm. found or or yeah. like or i don't know how that got posted but but here here is a better you know here's another mm-hmm. link instead yeah like here's a here's a much like higher quality link uh, than than what we found like some scratchy YouTube third hand posting. Uh, I mean, you know, as an as an artist, I think I think one of the things that is most important to you is to be remembered mm-hmm. in some way or or noticed, and and I think that this kind of does both of those. And, and you know, I mean, hopefully people will check some of these out because like there really are some great great films mm-hmm. in this catalog. The way this project started kind of we started from what was out there first um and we didn't really start with what we had shown we started with what we could find uh but a lot of the early work is not in a digital in a digitized format um so a lot of it was like shot on on tape based analog formats and i'm just wondering whether if we had gone about it a different way if we had started off by trying to contact filmmakers who we'd shown to see if their work was available if they still had that work um whether we would have come up with a a, a different outcome because we really started from what we could find on the internet, which automatically cuts out a lot of the early work. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm really surprised that uh, something like Greg Pak's Mouse is even available online. Um, he's a little bit of an outlier in that in that he is very conscientious about keeping his work in the public domain. He is now known primarily as a comic book illustrator now, but, but he... Oh, a writer, writer. As a writer. Yeah. Um, From Marvel. Yeah. So, but he has done, he had quite a career as a, as a filmmaker before. Yeah, yeah. Great at karaoke too, by the way. <laughs> but at the same time, I, I think it also goes back to like, like there is intention of like why you want to put your work out there. And I think like there's, there's so much to be said in terms of on the one hand, like um, is an archive about accessing content or like just thinking about maybe an archive just like beyond maybe something more than just that. And I think um, that's what I think is so special about this, this or like not maybe not special, but at least like, easier to manage is that we don't have to like kind of negotiate in some ways it's kind of like oh a lot of times it's the artist who have has already put it up and it's available and it's like a kind of we're recontextualizing it or at least like we're showcasing it again or 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 platforming it again in a different way um and I think for some of them too they're just like oh yeah I forgot I had this up online like wow this was like so many years ago like thanks for remembering (laughs) 
<laughs> and it's that's I think that's also really interesting because it's like it it kind of gets them to like also reflect about that. Yeah, I mean we've had we've had some filmmakers choose to uh, upload, re-upload their work in higher quality format uh, than what's out there. You know, there's some like scratchy YouTube video out there, and they've said, you know what, I, I'll give you a Vimeo link that's much better. Um, and I think that's that's gotten them rethinking their work as well in some ways. Chris, actually just like listening to your uh, memories of relation just like makes me really think again about that question of 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 like an archive and like what it means to remember. Um, I think like the topic of the archive has like there's been a lot of dialogue and to the point where, um, you know, there's also been um, talks about um like I think their archival history, there's like a lot of actually violent history that comes with that. And there's been talk of even like saying no anti-archives and like, how do we do it in a different way? And so I'm just, I think on that, just like kind of curious uh, what you see the role of like real Asian or maybe not just real Asian, like for festivals to do this work. And then also like, sorry, just like so many questions, but like, just also thinking about like, like the capacity, like, like besides putting on a festival and then archival work isn't just something you can just do in a day or like it's a, it does take, there, there is a method to it. It does take time. Um, yeah. I'd yeah. I, I think that um, the act of, of remembering plays a very important role Um in, in kind of the historification of, of uh, the Asian arts experience in Canada. Um, we don't have a lot of Asian arts organizations uh, who do media work, uh, who, do, who do media arts work uh, in Canada. Uh, so I think that, I think that we, we're often so close to the work that and we're so consumed with the actual execution of the annual festival that we have, I wouldn't say neglected, but haven't put as much care into the process of archiving our work and, and really putting thought and care into self-historicization. Um, we kind of come at it in terms of whenever there is um, a landmark year, like the 15th year, the 20th year, there, then we do a cursory look back at retrospective programming. Uh, and we maybe make some effort at that point into exploring uh, our archives. But archiving is, is a process that, is, that should be ongoing. Uh, and it's, it's less effort to do it as you go along <laughs> than, <laughs> than to wait 30 years before tackling <laughs> this mountain of archives. Um, and it's interesting because festivals have a, a a very ephemeral nature to them in that they exist at a certain time of year and then oftentimes they disappear for the rest of the year until their time rolls around again for the next year. And Real Asian has been in the process of becoming a year-round organization where we are putting out content throughout the year uh, we're we're making things happen throughout the year, and so that gives us a, a kind of a a different perspective on uh, on our past. In that, it's not just a snapshot of what happened in the festival time of that year. 
there is all sorts of other things that are starting to happen throughout the year. There's things that are building out and fleshing out a history. Um, certainly since I would say 2011, 2012, we've really started, we've really accelerated our program of, of, of year round activities. Um, but I mean, in the beginning, there was, there was work that was shown for four days in November, and and then we kind of turned the, turned the lock on the door and shut the office for the next four months, the next five months, the next six months, um, and so that work kind of just sat there, and there was nothing going on with it. There was nothing going on with the organization. Um, the organization was a festival. That's all it was. Whereas now it's an organization that puts on a festival. And the festival is our major property that happens in the fall of every year. But we are slowly starting to professionalize as an organization that is a year-round ongoing concern. Um, so I think the process of, of looking at our history is that through that lens of um, uh, being more than just a presenting festival, but being an organization that that um, advocates for Asian creatives in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this kind of like... Um, uh, there's almost like a anti-recency bias, you know, <laughs> like uh, in that, like the the near past is not it's not that important, you know. And I and what you're saying about like being so consumed about festival and just getting it done and um, and then rolling off your contract, right? For most people, um, like who for most people on the staff uh, up until recently, when we we've had more full time people. Um, then that's that's kind of like archive is going to be the last thing unless you need to archive for grant reporting or some or sponsor report you know what i mean which is well, a, that, definitely I mean, a different thing type with, of uh, archiving right we are a presenting organization in in that we have the rights to show will work one time there is no there is no uh mechanism by which we own that the rights to that work to present again so there's no sense in archiving that because we can't show it again that work belongs to the artists um and it's up to them to to show that work again not us so in a way all that we have to to look back upon uh are the physical ephemera like program guides and posters and catalogs and things like that that hold the record of what was shown. So in a lot of ways, our festival archive up until now has been just a digital representation of those program guides. Uh, whereas now what we're what we've done is um reframe our past festival selections as an official selection. So it in in a way it brings that collection to reality. Um in that there is there's a physical record that yes we showed this work. Um and in some cases it's like and here's where you can watch it again for free. Uh yeah, some of the filmmakers got back to me. Were like, "Thank you for including me into your online festival." <laughs> and I had to clarify: it's a directory, and it's part of this ongoing festival archive campaign. Yeah, which is which is a very important to re- to it's a it's a very important distinction to make because we're not reprogramming the work. We are uh we are reframing our record of, of showing that work. Um, and that 
gives the archive a new meaning, um, an expanded meaning, uh, as opposed to just uh, a digital representation of a program guide. Um, but, you know, one of the things that, that uh, we have at the Commons, where our, our office space is, is a research center. And the, the research center holds the collective archives of all the organizations in the Commons. Uh, but the archives of the two festivals at the organization uh, in, the, in the Commons, um, Real Asian and Imaginative, are actually quite small. They mostly involve physical ephemera, um, program guides, and posters. Um, there is no actual digital work. Well, there's very little digital work. Um, there's digital work that we have uh, the rights to that we've commissioned, for instance, that we have those. But there, for an organization that presents media art, we don't actually own or have rec have actual copies of that media art. So when we think about an archive of a film festival, you'd expect there to be films in it. But that's not always the case because we're about presentation of that film and where it's our record is about the presentation of it, not of the actual physical work itself. That remains the intellectual property of the filmmakers. So we are chronicling a, a moment in time, an instance where this work was shown. That actually, that, that was really poetic <laughs> at the very end, at least for me. <laughs> Backstory Podcast is written and hosted by Kelly Louie and Aram Collier. It's edited and produced by Sungwoo Beck and is presented by the Toronto Real Asian International Film Festival. Check out our show notes for more information about the Until Tomorrow campaign and other archival efforts at Real Asian. If you have any questions or want to say hi, reach out to us at our email, backstory.ra at gmail.com. Today's interview was with Chris Chen, who is going into his 17th festival with Real Asian as its festival and operations manager. Having started out as a front of house volunteer in 2003, Chris has been working as an associate programmer at the Inside Out Toronto LGBT Film Festival and has worked and volunteered at many other festivals, including the Toronto International Film Festival, Calgary International Film Festival, and Frameline San Francisco International LGBT Film Festival. Chris sings with Choir, Choir, Choir and is always up for a night of karaoke. We would also like to thank Patrick Apino and Nora Khan for their lovely conversations. Patrick produces long-distance radio podcasts with Paula Mardo, a documentary podcast about stories in Filipino diaspora. His films Void and Spunk can be found in the Until Tomorrow Festival History Directory. Nora is an interdisciplinary artist who directed East, A Relationship a short film about how an individual's relationship with people shapes her relationship with the land. The film had its world premiere as part of the festival in 2018, so make sure to also check out the film in the Until Tomorrow Festival History Directory. You can find out more information about Patrick and Noor in our extended show note. Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system. At the tone, please record your message. When you have finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Hi, my name is Jeff Chiba Stearns, and I'm an animation and documentary filmmaker from Vancouver, British Columbia. I've had the fortunate pleasure of having five films screened at the Toronto Real Asian Film Festival over the last 15 years, uh, starting off in 2005 with my short animated film, What Are You Anyways? Uh, next, in 2007, uh, we actually world premiered my short 
animated film yellow sticky notes at uh real asian and that was really special for me because it won the first annual real asian uh animation award and at the time um that really helped kickstart um the film on the festival circuit it ended up playing tribeca next and after that it did 90 film festivals uh was bought by youtube and racked up over two million views and so it was really nice that I guess real Asian just, uh, you know, saw some potential in that film and that really helped me kind of move my career forward. And, uh, even so the next film that I had done was a feature length documentary called one big Hapa family, which also played the festival, uh, led to my, uh, follow up film, yellow sticky notes, Canadian Annie jam. And in 2016, we screened my second, uh, feature length documentary mixed to match at the real Asian film festival. And what was really cool about that is that we had a uh, bone marrow drive. We could sign people up to the national bone marrow registry, which aligned with the film and its message. So over the years, everyone at the festival has been amazing, uh, amazingly supportive of the work I've done uh, from all the programmers, all the directors, to, to the point where when I visit, I feel like family and uh, I look forward to attending many more real Asian film festivals down the road and uh, wish the festival all the greatest of success moving forward into the future hello this is samuel kiyun lee i am the filmmaker of five by 90 the wake um, i wanted to make a film about reincarnation about buddhism about life about marriage about career uh, a lot of things and uh, it's an experimental thing i wanted to do some unique um, things with time, I suppose, and um, it is one shot. Uh, actually, it's several shots composed, or I used uh, compositing to make all the performances seem like it was all happening at the same time, but I shot everything separately. And uh, it was such a great experience having it screen at the Real Asian Film Festival um, so many years ago, and I'm uh, glad that uh, you've resurrected it, reincarnated it back onto uh, this platform. And I hope you enjoy. Thank you. My name is David Chai. I'm a writer-director based in New York. New Reality was my graduation short film. I was studying film at the University of Technology in Sydney. And one of my favorite two genres was science fiction and action. What better than to try and do a action science fiction combination and one of the um, things that I had access to as a student was the university campus and it was this really big com concrete building a lot of uh, other students were thinking of shooting in locations outside and I was thinking well as a student I have access to this building and it's really cool looking and and kind of sci-fi-ish so I thought, I'm just going to set this right here. And I have access to all these hallways and elevators and was able to use that to, you know, give my film quite an interesting production design feel and look. So one of the big lessons I learned from this process was always see what's available to you, what resources you have access to, because sometimes the most obvious ones actually give you a lot of bang for your buck. And... It's true now that I'm not a student anymore. If I actually wanted to shoot inside a university, it would A, be very difficult to get access, and it would be very expensive. Hello, this is Anne-Marie Fleming, and in 1997, I presented my feature Automatic Writing at the Real Asian Film Festival, which is kind of a montage of family stories based around the history of my great-great-grandfather, So Ming. Um, at the Q&A, Jean Yoon put up her hand and asked me what I thought my grandmother would think about this film, and I just burst into tears. I'd just come back from Germany, I'd come back to Canada, my whole family had left the country, and I didn't realize how alone and homesick I felt until that moment. Um, that's kind of a sad story. Um, but uh, later on, when I was asked to jury, I noticed that the prizes for short films were all... Um, well, they were all services for live action in Toronto, and we were getting so many great animated submissions from all over the world, and I thought, well, maybe filmmakers just, you know, use a little bit of cash. So I started the Animation 
prize for best short animation, and I was hoping that this would encourage people to become patrons of the arts, because it doesn't take much to say thank you to a filmmaker. Hi, I'm Austin Wong, and I wrote and directed a short film called Gaijin that was programmed in the 2013 edition of the Real Asian Film Festival. My film is a comedy about the difficulties a gay Asian man encounters while navigating the dating world in Toronto. It was 100% based on some of my real-life experiences in the late 90s and early 2000s. The character deals with racism from white guys, but also realizes he has internalized some issues on his own. I'll always remember the screening at Real Asian, because it was the first festival that had programmed my film, and it was the first time I'd ever seen a film I wrote and directed in a theater with an audience. I had family and friends in the audience, but most of the crowd were just general public, and it was a crazy, exhilarating feeling watching them react to my work. I remember feeling so relieved when they laughed at the right moments, and it was just such a great experience. I did a Q&A afterwards, and the questions felt almost therapeutic, because I was discussing the issues in my film that were also personal issues to me. After the screening, a few people of color came up to me and thanked me for making the film. They said they really related to it, and that they'd never seen their perspective on screen before. It was an awesome feeling, and so amazing to know that something I had made had helped people feel less alone, and it made me realize the importance of film and the importance of a festival like Real Asian, which really gives a platform to voices that aren't always heard. Hi, I'm Jennifer Liao, and I directed What You Eat, which is a short film that premiered at the 2008 Real Asian Film Festival. It was the first film, film festival that any of my films had ever played, and I had also pitched the short film the year before at Real Asian's pitch competition, where I won in the emerging category. Both of these things were huge milestones for me, and I just remember feeling really supported by everyone at the festival, like I'd been invited into a very special but still very inclusive club. And that remains my feeling every time I get to be a part of the things Real Asian is doing and when I attend Real Asian events. It will always hold an incredibly special place in my heart, and I'm excited to keep attending the festival as we find our way forward. Hi, my name is Jason Carmen, and I'm the writer-director of Lions in Waiting. Lions in Waiting is a short film about an Asian-Canadian hockey player who fights to have ice time after being hazed and finds the courage to be comfortable in his own skin. The film is about an athlete's dawning sexuality and the resulting alienation he feels from it. How do you overcome obstacles imposed on you, especially when they come from within? Sometimes facing these challenges head-on can unlock hidden potential. Lines in Waiting screened at the Toronto Real Asian Film Festival in 2017. I was there with my lead actor Taylor Carre and uh, we attended a weekday matinee screening at the Tip Bell Lightbox. I remembered being pleasantly surprised by the turnout. It was predominantly high school kids uh, the, the festival uh, has, uh, has a great outreach program, and they got, uh, they got a lot of students um, into the screening. And one particular student, I think, um, commented that this was his first time seeing an Asian queer athlete uh, in front of him on the big screen, like in, in a high school environment. Um, and so I, I felt like I had hopefully uh, broke down some barriers for him to show that it was possible to um, be queer and to be uh, also an athlete um, and empower him to take control of his uh, own destiny. End of message. Just with any archive or, um, you know, this whole exercise of doing this, it brings up a lot of feelings, I think, about as a creative person, you know, like, I make films too. Um, what do you make this for? And how does it last? How will people remember it? Ultimately, you always are wondering, does anybody fucking care? 
<laughs> you know what I mean? And, you know, just more and more material, like even, and we see it through our submissions, right? Like we have 800, we have 800, 900 submissions. Whereas, you know, in the past we would have like 150 or 200 DVDs to go through. So the overwhelming volume of, of material and, and what is going to last. And in terms of the response that, that we've gotten from filmmakers has been really nice. And I can imagine how they must feel in that, like, you know, cause otherwise, you know, these, these things may be lost into the, into the, the world wide web. Right. And uh, just to have somebody say, Hey, I, I care about this. And I, I'm interested in what you've done and um, and I want other people to see it again. Like that's a really cool thing. <laughs>